0: Welcome. Thank you for joining us. You are listening to Gaining Christ Audio, a ministry designed to teach the absolute truth of God from the Bible, to encourage you to know and enjoy and more faithfully walk in the eternal life of God. In this podcast, we will discuss what should we as people, especially believers in Christ, do whenever we sin against another. Person. More specifically, how do we bring healing to the person and genuine restoration back to the relationship whenever we hurt others by our sin? Let's be honest. We all have the capacity to sin against other people and cause them hurt or pain, discomfort, and brokenness in relationships. Whether We are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, and we live as a slave of sin and spiritually dead. We can hurt others in our sin. And even after God enters our life and makes us spiritually alive, unites us to Christ, gives us a new heart, a new nature, puts the Holy Spirit within us, makes us new creations, causing us and enabling us to walk in His ways and loving and treating people with love and and generosity and sacrifice, we still can sin against other people and hurt them and cause damage. I can testify in my life, unfortunately. Before I became a believer, I have sinned and hurt people a little bit, a medium amount, and in large amounts, I've hurt people. And even after being a believer in Christ, I've caused great pain in people's lives by my sin, unfortunately. The good news, the great news, is that God has provided a way for us to heal the pain from the sin that we cause and do against other people. And so in this podcast, we want to provide you a very practical, pastoral, biblically logical, Christ-honoring process to truly heal hurt. when when we sin against other people, that if embraced and executed, will yield beautiful results in the lives of people, families, friends, even your own heart moving forward. Before we get into these particulars, I would like to read some passages from the Bible, which describe the temperament and behavior and the love and the care and humility and sacrifice that we are to have as believers in Christ towards other people. The apostle Paul <clears throat> writes in his letter to the Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 1, I urge you brothers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to believers in Philippi, verse 1, If you have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from God's love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one another and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes to these believers, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Put on, then, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called. And Peter writes, In one of his letters, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, above all, brothers, love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. In all these passages, they encapsulate what Jesus has says to his followers, beginning to his disciples on the night before he is crucified in John 13 and extending to you and I today who believe and know Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's pretty lofty. (laughs) By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Clearly, God has called, commanded, and empowered the believer in Christ to walk in extreme love and sacrifice and unity and humility, thinking of others' interests even above our own. But there is a big problem in our lives that causes havoc to this taking place, and that is our sin, which still resides in the flesh, not in your nature, Because you have been born again and made new by God's grace if you are a believer in Christ. But still in your flesh and under the wrong circumstances, our sin can act up and do things, painful things to people. We can still, even as believers, sin against other people by breaking promises or lying or being dishonest, making false statements to people betraying one another. We can steal from one another, unfortunately, cheat on one another, act rudely, fits of anger, cause physical harm. We neglect one another. We make critical comments intended to hurt other people. We show disrespect. We mock and ridicule, even slander one another. And our actions of carelessness that yield physical danger or even actual harm to other people. And the list goes on. These are things that you and I can do and have done against other people. And we must understand that the impact of sin against other people can be incredibly potent, painful, hurtful, offensive, discouraging, frustrating. It can take emotional control over people, compounding hurt that goes through the years and negatively impacting the way people think about themselves and think about life and love and security and relationships and even distorting their own behaviors, causing them to duplicate at times some of the sins that happened to them, to the hurt of other people, breaking relationships, destroying relationships and trust. And if not taken care of appropriately, as you may know, these little sins that may actually be little, if duplicated and repeated, can turn situations from a little pink ant to a pink grasshopper, to a pink frog, to a pink bird, to a pink squirrel to a pink cat, to a pink dog, to a pink pig, to a pink tiger, to a pink hippo, all the way to these pink elephants that take over environments and families and rooms, this uncomfortable vapor, because sin has been left undealt with and is compounded into these uncomfortable and resentful experiences. But praise the Lord. He has given us a way to heal pain genuinely and restore relationships and build trust when we hurt one another by our sin. And we will call this process brotherly repentance. Call it Christian repentance. Call it social repentance. Call it love repentance, whatever you would like to call it. It is repentance that leads to healing from the hurt of our sin. And if we will engage in this process that comes from logical, biblical conclusions, we will bring beautiful results, true healing, and strengthen relationships considerably throughout our lives. Let's take a hypothetical situation that we will use As the example of sin and subsequent healing, let's say that you receive a call from one of your very good friends who lives in another city, and he or she will call him Mike. Let's say your friend Mike, who lives in California, is flying to your city for a very important meeting. You know it's important. He's called you up, and he has asked if you can pick him up at the airport. And have you drive him and then drop him off at this dinner meeting? And you say, absolutely. And so you arrange that you're going to meet Mike at 6 p.m. at your city airport and drive him to a dinner appointment that begins at 730. A dinner appointment where Mike is meeting with the CEO of a company and might be offered a job as he's in the final between another candidate to get this very important job. And he actually wanted to visit with you a little bit about it before he met with this man for dinner. So you agree to meet Mike and pick him up at 6 p.m. at the airport in this exact place. Well, an hour before you're leaving for the airport, One of your friends calls you and invites you to the baseball game and dinner with some other buddies. And you tell your friend, well, I can't make it because I promised that I would pick up Mike at the airport. And your friend says, oh, come on. Mike can take an Uber. Send him a text. He'll be fine. And and hang out with us. It'll be more fun than driving him to some dinner meeting. And you can go to the game. And then maybe you can see Mike tomorrow or something like that. And you, that's what you do. And so as Mike is flying in the air, you send Mike a text. Hey, Mike, I can't pick you up at the airport. Just take an Uber and I'll try to see you tomorrow. Hope you have a good meeting. And then you go to the baseball game. Well, what you do not realize is that Mike, while he's on the plane, has lost power in his cell phone battery and he forgot to pack his charger. So he never actually gets a message on the plane or when he lands. But he's there at the exact spot at 6 p.m. waiting for you to pick him up, and then 10 minutes go by, and 20 minutes go by, and 30 minutes go by, and now he's beginning to pan- beginning to panic. But he's too afraid to leave the spot because he thinks that if he leaves the spot, you may actually drive up, see that he's not there, and then leave. So he stays another 10, 15 minutes. And then after about an hour, he realizes you're not showing. So he tries to go downstairs and get an Uber. He can't do it on his phone because he has no cell phone power. Eventually, after 30 minutes, he finally flags someone down and this driver gives him a ride to the restaurant, which he's an hour late getting there. He tried to call along the way. Once he gets in in the driver's car, But the the man he's meeting, this John person that he's meeting for dinner, the CEO has already left, and he had no way, Mike had no way to tell him that he was going to be late, thus costing Mike the job that's given to the other person. He'll find out a few days later. Mike then goes to his hotel, misses the dinner when he gets at the restaurant, and then flies home the next day furious and hurt. You learn about it two days later when Mike calls you and asks you what happened. Now if this is a scenario that happens and these kind of things do happen, unfortunately, not too infre- infrequently, you would have been a, you would have sinned against your friend Mike, causing Mike pain, loss of an opportunity, discouragement, and um, a host of other feelings he's having thinking that maybe you don't really care about him and maybe the friendship that he thought was pretty good was just a joke for the last 10 years. And all you did was send him a text saying, take an Uber. So what should you do in that situation? Well, here is what we want to recommend as an eight-step process to truly heal the pain or some of the pain that he may be feeling and reconcile, hopefully, the relationship that you one had in a strong way with Mike. Step number one awareness. True healing of our sin against other people begins with a genuine awareness of our sin that we have caused the other person and the hurt and the problems as well. Now, we may know our sin from obvious circumstances. Maybe God will convict us some supernatural way, or maybe a messenger will tell us the news. Nevertheless, true healing Of our sin against others begins with a genuine awareness of our actual sin against other people and its effect. Step number two conviction. Genuine conviction, sorrow over our sin and its hurt against the other person. A genuine burden for the pain that we are causing or have caused the other person. A lot of times people let their pride get in the way or maybe a non-empathetic heart to get in the way. Very dangerous. If you are a person that lacks empathy for other people in compassionate times, ask God to give you a compassionate, empathetic heart because to truly repent in this brotherly repentance that yields healing to the person offended requires that we feel the conviction and the sorrow and the burden over our sin and the subsequent pain to that person. Step number three, very important. Pursue the person we have sinned against. This is your responsibility. In this case with Mike, it is our responsibility to make contact with Mike. And we should pursue Mike, hopefully, in an in-person face-to-face meeting. If that is not possible because Mike lives in another state, then telephone call is the next best option. This kind of healing in this process does not occur through texting, emails, or even leaving voicemail messages. This is a voice-to-voice, person-to-person conversation. Do not let your fear and your shame stop you from making this very important move. Yes, you may feel uncomfortable. Yes, you may feel some trepidation. Yes, you may be concerned on how he might react. That is irrelevant. It is our responsibility to pursue Mike and make contact with him as soon as possible in person or at least voice to voice. Step number 4, confess. When you get in front of your friend, it We must now humbly confess our sin of what we did that was wrong. Confess to Mike of your sin. Mike, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against you. What I did was wrong. I did this. I neglected you. I promised you I would pick you up at the airport. You were relying on me. I sent you a text, a careless one, assuming you would get it. And then I went and did something else because I had more interest in going to baseball games than serving you when you were relying uh, on me to be there. And then fifthly, after confessing your sin, this is a very, very huge and beautiful step. Number five, confirm. Confirm the pain that he is feeling as valid. Validate his hurt. Mike, I totally understand why you feel the way you do. I understand why you would feel anger and hurt and confusion over my behavior. If you do not know how Mike feels, ask him and let him tell you. Remember, these are Mike's feelings, not yours. You may think at this time, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he so ate up over this? I wouldn't feel this way. Man, he's really hurt. He needs to toughen up. Whatever you may think is irrelevant because your objective sin against Mike has caused him to feel objective and subjective feelings and pain. And you need to address, we have the opportunity to address and validate that they are right to feel the way they did, and we understand why they would feel the way they did. This is huge, and very few people ever do this. Step number six, apologize sincerely and humbly. Now, the truth is, there's a good chance if you've gotten this far, Mike has, has maybe already told you, oh, it's all good. I forgive you. Do not let him do that. People will try to do that. Once you approach them and begin to broach the subject in this process, most people will say, oh, don't worry about it. You're good. I forgive you. Say, thank you very much for saying that. But I I must tell you these things. You deserve to hear what I need to say because of what I did. Do not let them stop you. Keep moving forward and apologize to Mike and say, Mike, I am very sorry for what I've done to you and the hurt that I've caused you. I'm truly sorry. Him seeing you feel the burden, you apologizing will show him that you truly care because most people are hurt because they assume we don't really care about them. And trust has been broken. And our agenda here is to love them and rebuild the trust and truly cause them healing. And at this time, there's no excuses. You can't say, I'm sorry for what I did, but it's your fault because you didn't pack your charger. It's your fault because you should have known after 15 minutes I was not coming and gotten an Uber. If it was that important, no no excuses, no buts in this. I am so sorry for what I did and my hurt that I've caused you. And step number seven, request. Humbly ask Mike for his forgiveness. Mike, will you please forgive me for my sin against you and the hurt that I've caused you? (laughs) Most likely, he will give it to you. But he may not. And we need to understand that it's Mike's right to give us or give you forgiveness when he's ready, if he's ready. You asking for it is appropriate. God calls us to ask for forgiveness. God does call people to forgive, especially believers, but we can't impose or force them to forgive us just yet. So if Mike is not ready, then let him be but show him the love and respect. Do not get irritated or angry if he's not ready to forgive. Again, most likely in most circumstances, he will grant forgiveness. Even though he may still feel the residue of some consequence and pain, not getting the job offer, you're still healing the hurt in a lot of ways because you've caused it and we own it, acknowledge it, and we want him to forgive us. And you need to hear this. Because it will have internal benefits on you when he does forgive you. And then step number eight, which is always the foundational step in genuine repentance, whether it's repentance of God initially into salvation in Christ or the repentance that a believer goes through with God throughout their life, it is a turning away from the sin a changed heart that turns us away from the sin so that we don't duplicate these things with the people we've hurt. One of the big problems that happens is people will seem to to say that they're they're sorry for sin and then they keep repenting repeating it over and over again thus taking away the forgiveness. And that's what John writes in 1 John, for example. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, he says, Beloved, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. True repentance turns away from the behavior that was sinful and hurt the other people. It's just like Zacchaeus, a man who Jesus saved, a very sinful man, by the way, that you may know in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, he was a thief. He would steal money from his own people when collecting money from the Romans. For example, as a tax collector, a chief tax collector, if you and your family owned, owed the Roman government 5,000 shekels, then Zacchaeus would make you pay 10,000, and he would give the Romans 5,000 and put 5,000 in his pocket, and these tax collectors were extremely wealthy, but they were crooks. And so when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, Luke chapter 19, he comes to Jesus in repentance over his sin, and listen to what he says to Jesus in verse 8 of this behavior he's having as he is getting saved. Zacchaeus said to Jesus, And also, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. So imagine this. He was literally going to do it. He promised Jesus, who just saved him, according to the passage, that he was now going to return what he had stolen from people. So imagine this scene. A day or two later, Zacchaeus goes around town and starts knocking on doors. And he knocks on a door, and the door opens, and Zacchaeus goes, Mr. Benjamin. Hi, I'm Zacchaeus. Mr. Benjamin goes, I know who you are. And Zacchaeus goes, Mr. Benjamin, I'm here to tell you that I am so very sorry for my sin against you and your family. I have stolen from you over the last three years. In collecting taxes, I have forced you to pay twice as much as you've owned. I've taken 50% of your money away from you when you were paying taxes. And I've brought burden and hurt to you and your family and who knows what. And I'm here to say that I'm so sorry for my sin against you and the pain that I've caused you. And I want to ask for your forgiveness today, sir. And also let you know that I'm not only restoring the 15,000 shekels that I stole from you over the last five years, but I'm going to pay you back fourfold and pay you an additional 20,000 shekels. Here's 35,000 shekels and my apology for my sin against you. I was a crook. I was a greedy. I did not care about your life. I just wanted the money for myself and that's wrong and I'm so sorry for what I did. Would you please forgive me? Could you imagine (laughs) the feeling that the Benjamin family and other families are having as Zacchaeus is going around town? And, and repenting and in and, and, and true, genuine burden and sorrow and asking for forgiveness and paying back what he stole from these families. This would be the most extreme testimony of the gospel some of these people have ever seen. And my friend, like this situation, and hopefully like Mike in our hypothetical, if you and I will engage in this brotherly repentance, When we do, unfortunately, sin against other people and cause them offense or hurt and brokenness, if we will engage in this process, it will no doubt generate healing and trust and will show them love. It will most likely even strengthen your relationships with these people. And in many cases, the relationship after you repent and go through this brotherly repentance, will be a stronger bond of trust and relationship than it was before the sin actually occurred. I have seen this happen. I've heard people express this. It the, This honors God. It honors the gospel. It proves the power of Christ. It's encouraging. It's healing. It, it brings confidence in people's life, peace, unity in relationships, and internal relief, not only in the one you hurt, but in you as a sinner against them. As God will relieve you of the conscious and even the subconscious burden of your sins against other people. If we will practice this, it will yield beautiful results in families and friendships and churches all over the world. Truly, just try it and watch the grace of God at work. Well, we hope that this message proves to be of value or encouragement to you. And we thank We appreciate you taking the time to listen today. We hope you have a great week and spread the word.